Welcome to Taking the High Road, a Driver Reach and Freight Waves production. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder and CEO of Driver Reach. On this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. I appreciate your feedback uh, on the contents of the show. If you aren't already a subscriber, I encourage you to become one and rate Taking the High Road in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen. Today's guest uh, is a great friend who's passionate about building a culture of safety. Brian Filco, CEO of Jetco Delivery, a Houston-based carrier and recipient of TCA's 2021 Best Fleets to Drive For Award. Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, Brian. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Great, great to be with you, Jeremy. Now, being considered a Best Fleet to Drive For in 2021, that's a, that's a badge of honor in, uh, in such a competitive market for drivers. Now, much of what I want to cover today is, is why Jetco received that designation, how a culture of safety plays a critical role in your recruiting and retention strategy. I also want to talk about your additional work as a well-respected speaker, author, and, and trainer, and highlight your new workshop series, Making Safety Happen. Of course, we'll also take a deeper dive where I'll have you answer uh, questions submitted from a listener. But before we get into all that, I'm curious, have you, have you had your uh, COVID vaccination yet? Both, two for two, still standing. You, you and, family uh, as well? My whole family. Yep. Uh, it's amazing the lightning speed with which uh, the vaccine rollout has happened. Now, I think we all need to do our part. You can see with 100 million Americans fully vaccinated, things are loosening up a little bit. And the more that we get vaccinated, uh, the closer we'll be to returning to normal, whatever normal may look like. It's probably not going to be exactly the same, but uh, but that's okay. We can we can adapt. I'm with you, and I, I've had mine as well. And that's part of the reason why I'm asking uh, on on these uh, segments is because I am curious to know kind of you know people's thoughts and and encourage people to uh, um, to to get vaccinated uh, when they can. So it's when okay, I it's okay if it doesn't look the same because hopefully we've come out of this past year smarter. So I don't think things will go back to exactly the way they were, and I think that's probably a good thing. Well, I, I've noticed just in, in from a business standpoint, companies have embraced technology as a result of this whole you know process, and and that's certainly a, a benefit to me, since that's where we uh, operate. But still, I think there's a lot of we have adapted and 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 had to evolve. I've known you, Brian, for I don't know at least six to eight years. I think uh, at, when we first met, you it was at a state trucking association conference in Florida. Um, you were speaking on the topic of building a world-class safety culture, and you were highlighting your book, Driving to Perfection. I think I've uh, got one, got a copy right here. And in fact, I took a whole bunch of these uh, books, a handful of books, uh, back to our leadership team. There were some really powerful takeaways that I, I knew I could implement right away and, and make a big difference. Uh, among many safety-related achievements, you've also received the National Safety Council's Distinguished Service uh, to Safety Award, which is a really big deal. Um, what is it about safety in particular that you've really made an intentional decision to plant your flag? Well, I think that safety uh, is at the foundation of all excellent operations, of all profitable businesses that operate in high-consequence industries. You know, if people think safety is expensive, consider the opposite. Consider uh, the cost of accidents. Um, safety at company that has a culture of safety, and that goes way beyond compliance, you know, your employees know uh, that they're cared for. There is a, a commitment to your people, to your team above everything else. There is no 
project. There's no load that's more important than uh, our loved ones getting home uh, every day to their families. Uh, and, and also in a safety culture process is front and center. So, you know, it's not like you show up to work and every, every day is a, a, a new, a new uh, scramble. You know, there's a, there's a defined way of doing things. And, and that, that's important for uh, stability and continuity, employee certainty. So, the, so basically safety is at the cornerstone of employee engagement, employee morale, customer satisfaction, uh, operational excellence, and profitability. So, so safety is the linchpin, and yet so many people still think of safety as a department or a safety director as opposed to safety being a way of life ingrained in every decision that we make in our company. Now, it's, it's clearly something you're passionate about. What, what inspired you to write books on the subject? You know, I mean, safety, leadership, culture, what's that inspiration? Well, you know, I started off writing Driving to Perfection, which was about company culture. Then I co-wrote Leading People Safely with my mentor. So it was a big honor to co-write it with Jim Schultz. And Jim, I met him when we were both at Waste Management. Now, you got a 55,000-employee company. And Jim, when he was a senior vice president of safety at Waste, um, took Waste Management on a worst-to-first journey. And Jim's seven years. By the time Jim left, I mean, Waste Management was world-class, and I, as far as I know, still are, uh, when it comes to safety. And you know what? He didn't do it with bigger and better handbooks. He didn't do it with more words, more policies. He did it with a, a behavior-based safety approach. And it's really, so safety, the way I talk about safety, the way I practice safety is it's, it's a subset of leadership. I mean, can you imagine a healthy safety culture taking hold in a broken company culture or a defective operational culture? No, it's, you know, generally if the company culture is healthy, safety is gonna take root. Uh, so it's, it, to me, it's a, it's a subset. And the reason I wrote books on, on these topics, and look, there's very good books out there. I mean, if I'm going to write, read a book on, um, uh, company culture, for example, it's going to be by Pat Lencioni and it'll probably be a book called the advantage. But what I noticed with these books is that a lot of them are very short on how to, they're short on, on the tactics. And that's where I think I was able, able to make a difference in the books and the articles I've written in the speaking I do is it's one thing to have the idea, right? But an idea without an execution plan really isn't worth a lot. So what I try and do is give people the practical hands-on ideas, uh, easy, high value, uh, low cost ideas uh, that they can take, adopt, make their own to bring their company and their safety cultures to a whole new level. Well, let's talk about how having a culture built on the foundation of safety can have an incredible impact on uh, recruiting and retention. You know, the, the trucking industry is very busy, right? There's a, there's a pressure to hire drivers, but we can't let that pressure cause us to relax in our hiring standards. How can we best guard uh, the gates to prevent that from happening? Well, Jeremy, I think that um, when we're in this period where, where, where the industry is booming, that's when it's easy to get the uh, mentality of let's just fill the trucks, right? Forget about the process, forget about the hiring criteria. So right now, and look, we need drivers at our company as badly as, as any of our competitors. So I'm not gonna tell you that we found the, the secret uh, uh, 
you know, kind of the secret ingredient to, to hiring in, in this market. But what I can tell you is that we're very disciplined in the types of drivers that we hire. And we don't let a market like this, where there's tremendous pressure to fill trucks, compromise that. So a couple of the things that we do uh, to guard the gates, and I think maybe the most important, is several sets of eyes are on any single candidate. Uh, in particular, I like to be sure that um, a new candidate gets to meet with an existing driver. Because quite frankly, somebody who drives uh, professionally or has driven is going to have a much better set of eyes and be able to ask much better questions and sort of pick up on some of the unspoken uh, language and, and measure for behavior. So, you know, you have people that, that are your opinion leaders. You've got people that are sort of your, your train-the-trainer types. They're the ones that can help you guard the gates better than anybody else. The other thing we do is, um, you know, orientation is not just a one or two day classroom event. You're in a truck uh, for a couple of weeks uh, with a trainer because we want you to get to know the company. We know from a road test that you can drive a truck. But what we don't know and what you don't know either is how to drive it our way. What are our expectations? And also, we can certainly pick up on, on value and behavior alignment in, in a two week um you know, on the road scenario. So we invest more on the front end to create the odds of a better fit long-term. And obviously in the recruiting process, it's really tempting to sell a Porsche and deliver a Buick. And that creates untold frustration among drivers. So we, we, we're like, here we are. This is us. Uh, there's no pretense. Nothing is hidden. Uh, and if it's a fit, it's going to be a great fit. And given our relatively low turnover rate, um, hopefully a long-term fit. Uh, but we never want to over-promise and under-deliver. You know, you get somebody in, but then a month later, they're gone. I know you've got low turnover. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, you know, do you believe that having the reputation in the industry that you have from a safety standpoint leads to attracting more of the right types of drivers? That's one one thing I'd like to know. But then I also, how do you get buy-in from drivers that that are currently there, or is that just part of that that process? Those are the ones that are coming in from the beginning. Well, you know, I would say that our turnover, we have more turbulence in the first six months or the first year than we do once somebody has decided to make the company their home. So there's a yeah you know, the idea that you got like I said before orientation I don't know if it's one days two days if it's a two weeks but there's it's a defined process at some point it's over okay and really orientation's the easy part what you've got to focus on is integration and I believe it takes six to twelve months to integrate a new employee into your culture so you've got to have a program where people have a safe harbor to ask questions there is no such thing as a stupid question. Um, where there's frequent contact, how are we doing for you, right? The, there's, there's interaction um, in the early months uh, more between a driver and his or her peers, his or her manager. And I think all of these things will, lead, will increase the chances of um, people working out. Uh, now, you know, we don't bat a thousand, and really I don't think we want to bat a thousand um, because not everybody is, is a fit uh, for our organization, and we, we respect that. Now, you argue that it's a mistake to measure your managers based on raw turnover you know, numbers alone. Why is that? Well, you want to look at raw turnover numbers to see why people are leaving, right? In other words, uh, going back to my example, 
are we are we offering a Porsche and delivering a Buick? If that's the case, then then let's know that and let's let's refine what we're doing in recruiting. But part of a manager's job is to assess the individuals that report to that manager. And you know, I'm a big believer in coaching over discipline. You know, coach, coach, coach. Uh, but at some point, not everybody is cut out for your organization. They don't have the behaviors uh, that meet your organization's expectations. And part of a manager's job is to recognize that, document it, and if the person doesn't fit, um, to, to show that person th the door. Otherwise, you have an accident waiting to happen, a service failure waiting to happen. So, you know, what I look at, if a manager decides to terminate an employee, is the file documented? Do we give the employee every chance? If the file is documented and the employee has repeatedly refused um, to, uh, uh, you know, adapt their behavior to our company's expectations, it's the manager's job to show that employee the exit. Um, if the manager doesn't, what message does that send to the rest of your team? A pretty awful one. So, you know, I think you have to kind of look at why people are leaving. And in those cases where it's, let's just call it a for-cause termination, um, your manager should be rewarded for that. And I'm really afraid of companies that just look at raw turnover because what are you doing? You're incentivizing your managers to hang on to everybody. And I think that's a really bad idea. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I don't think people see it that way. And uh, and I agree, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, talking about the drivers that once that, you know, six months to a year, they, you know, they they stick around a lot longer. Uh, how are, or maybe can you share some of the ways that you're you're keeping them engaged? What are some of the things that you're doing that maybe others aren't that possibly should be? Well, I'm especially proud. We have several businesses, right? We have uh, Intermodal, uh, we have uh, uh, a van and we've got an open deck, so flatbed heavy haul business. And for example, in the heavy haul business, in the flatbed business, um, we have what we call our levels of progression. So that if you're a flatbed driver, let's say you're trained to haul legal loads and you wanna sort of go up into more complex loads, permit loads. And um, you know, obviously that with that comes more responsibility, uh, more more income over time. We have a process by which we train people progressively and gradually to haul increasingly complicated loads. And our our best uh, heavy haul drivers now went through uh, the levels of progression, and a lot of them are now training uh, other drivers uh, along the way. So I love the bit that we're able to uh, develop our drivers. Uh, a lot of people think that the development is either, you know, the, the ultimate form of development is you're either in the truck or out of the truck. So that's just that's just the wrong way to look at it. Well, some people um, drive and then want to get out of a truck. Our vice president of safety drove. Our safety manager drove. I have several operations team members who drove. Our, our, our driver recruiter, the chairman of our driver committee drove. But a lot of people love driving. It's a great profession. So what we try and do is create opportunities behind the wheel for people to do increasingly complex things and, 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 and tasks that over time will come with more uh, income opportunity too. Another thing that we've done is, you know, in a lot of trucking companies, uh, why is your turnover in the office, you know, a fraction of what it is among your driver pool? 
Well, in normal times, let's just look past the past 12 months. In normal times, we're sitting near each other. We're sitting next to each other. We get to know each other in the office. But our drivers, by definition of what they do for a living, are separated from us. So even before social distancing, they were distanced. Our mantra is distanced, but not isolated. So we were having all sorts of issues relating to you know the driver versus office silo. And we broke it about 10 years ago. We asked our drivers to elect a driver committee. Um, and ever since then, so we're well into 10 years into this, the driver committee um, is involved in every aspect of a, a driver's uh, experience at the company, lanes, compensation, any sort of interpersonal conflicts which can arise from time to time. And what the driver committee has done for us, especially the chairman of the driver committee, who attends pretty much all of our operations meetings and any meetings, is the driver committee has helped us tear down that silo and create one company. You know, the way I always envisioned it, one company, um, you know, same problems, same challenges as, mo as most companies, but maybe a little different way of um, solving it because I will not tolerate we versus they. Um, and when I show up every day for my job, um, my mentality is I work for my drivers. Um, I know the level of responsibility they've got. I know what it's like driving around Houston, Texas in the middle of rush hour. Our job is to support them. So I'd like to switch gears and talk about some of the work you're doing with training and education, which is a, a perfect segue into our special segment, A Deeper Dive, where we take a question from a listener. Uh, the question is, what kind of training can fleets give to their managers to ensure they have positive relationships with drivers? Well, let's think for a minute about uh, our our driver managers, or some people, you know, we'll call them dispatchers. I prefer driver managers. Um, a lot of dispatchers have earned their role because they're very good at performing tactical functions. You know, maybe they were a good frontline employee. Maybe they drove. Maybe they were in some other frontline capacity where it was all about getting the job done, tactical. Once you move into management of people, you are managing people first, loads second. And I think a lot of times what we see is people, uh, you know, driver managers putting the load ahead of the driver. Um, so what I think we have to do, especially with our frontline managers, those who are responsible for managing frontline employees, is make sure that we're investing in their skills as a manager of people above all else. Uh, I think that's where a lot of times our dispatchers and our drivers go sideways with each other. And let's be real clear. If a relationship between an employee and his or her manager is broken, there's nothing that you or I can do, Jeremy, to fix that. Uh, the employee-manager relationship is sacred. Uh, I like to joke around that since 2006, I've been involved with Jetco. And since then, not one person has ever left Jetco. Uh, and, you know, I'll tell people, well, do you believe that? And I tell them they should believe that. But I can think of a lot of really good people who've left their managers. People don't leave companies. People leave people. So the kind of training that we've got to do, Jeremy, is, is training on how to manage people. Everything else from there will fall into place. But if we can't manage people, there's really not much worth talking about. That's a good point. And it's hard. And it's I think everybody would agree and embrace that, except they all would say, but our hair is on fire every day. And that's uh, that's one of the challenges, I think, to, to address. Well, but, but don't you think that's an excuse? Honestly, oh, I mean, sure. you know, it's like, well, we can't be we, we you know, we can't 
do our pre-trips today because we're really busy. I'm not buying that. Um, or, you know, we, we can't take a time out to, to help somebody deal with something, you know, that's maybe more on the personal side. If we really can't do it, let the person know, okay, you know what? I can't do it today, but I'm going to carve out, you know, nine o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll do it. So you can't ignore the problem. If you can't get to it right now, I understand, but don't sweep it under the rug. Make a commitment to do it within a day or two and that'll be okay. But, but the idea is I'm too busy. I'm too busy is, is an excuse because if you've taken on the job of leadership, you can't be too busy to lead. Well, um, in addition to the books that you've written, you've also created a course called Making Safety Happen, where you you don't just talk about safety in theory, you, you really discuss um, how to operationalize it. Uh, can you share a little bit about Making Safety Happen, the program? You know, you know what is it? What does it entail? And maybe what are the greatest takeaways from those who have uh, participated? Yeah, Jeremy, I, mean, I think um, we, we were talking, you and I were talking about Making Safety Happen back in August, right before we launched. So it was brand new back then. And we've had uh, 315 people go through it so far. So um, beyond my wildest expectations of how well the course is done. And what I did with the course is it's called Reverse Classroom. So you go online um, at your leisure, at your convenience, and you take the course. And then over time, um, uh, you uh, will uh, participate in six monthly workshops. The course is divided into six modules, and each workshop is tied to a module. And then we get into conversation, we talk, peer groups develop, and we come up with ideas. And so what happens is people come to these workshops or they'll talk to me one-on-one -on -one with challenges. And what I like to remind people in the course is I'm giving you the tools, I'm giving you the ideas, I'm giving you the support. You don't need a, a lot of um, uh, high-priced consultants. Uh, what you need is the passion, the energy, and the determination and, and anybody can do this. So I think one of the biggest things that we're doing is we're sort of unlocking the power that I know that people already have, but sometimes it needs to be redirected, discussed. Um, and it's really been exciting to see people uh, uh, take their safety cultures, implement that one idea, that one aha moment, uh, and take their performance to a new level. And we've got so many examples of it. Uh, it's fun. And for me, it's extremely fulfilling. That much I can tell. And I, and I know, and I'm obviously very familiar with the, uh, uh, with the program as a sponsor. And by the way, just uh, for the audience sake, they can find more information on this at brianfieldco.com slash making safety happen. And, uh, and I'll make sure that that's in the uh, program notes as well. But uh, I'm familiar with the program because I've, I've gone through it and I've, I've sponsored it through uh, TCA. And uh, I, was, I was really impressed, too, with the amount of engagement uh, from the participants, you know, all in the same boat. They have so much in common, a lot of dialogue um, that, you know, that seems to last well beyond the course itself. I think there's, you know, some relationships that get built, people who have you know, very similar mindsets. Would you, would you agree? Oh, I agree. And, you know, with this, for a lot of people, this is eye-opening because, you know, you sort of feel leading people safely that you're on an island. Um, and uh, this, you create a network of peers so people, you can help each other. Uh, there's no secrets when it comes to safety in my mind. So yeah, just, just the aha moment and people realizing that, you know, I'm not in this alone. And some of the challenges, and let's face it, we've all been there. We've all had challenges. We've all had setbacks. Uh, the group can help you put those in perspective. And when you hit a, a brick wall, uh, somebody else can help you through that. So it's it's just been great that way. 
Now, before we go, I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on what needs to happen in the industry to, to reverse the trend of this increasing shortage of, of qualified drivers. Any silver bullets? Um, no silver bullets, but uh, in my mind, uh, you've got two issues, pay and respect. Um, and, you know, I think that if you look at the average salaries of professional truck drivers, uh, they're just underpaid. And we're doing something about that in our company uh, because, you know, when you take a, a pay bump and you spread it out over a year, over X loads, you know, you can really absorb that. And it's partly educating your clients that if you want me to give you the best service, I've got to have the best drivers. And to attract the best drivers, um, we need to, um, you know, we, we need to pay them right. And it's, so I think that, I think, it's going to continue to be uh, pay, but then there's respect. And the respect, I feel like a lot of trucking companies I know, they do a great job uh, respecting their drivers. But what happens when the driver leaves the yard, right? It's the motoring public. Give the drivers room. Stay off your cell phones. Uh, you know, a, a truck can't stop the way a car can. When uh, drivers uh, loading or unloading, let's remember that Drivers and companies have the same economic interests. We make our money when we're rolling. We don't make our money charging customers waiting time. Get us in, get us out, cut waiting time, help us be efficient. Um, and, and I think that, that between, between pay and respect, we will fix this. What I'd like to say, though, Jeremy, is that you, know, you have a lot of um, experts. When the, when the trucking market slows down, what they'll say is, you see, there never was a driver shortage. And right now when we're booming, people are, oh, my God, we're never going to get another truck. You know, how do I become a shipper of choice? All those, all that jargon that comes back um, in a booming market. I say play long ball. Um, if you've got long-term needs, take a long-term approach to your trucking company. If you've got spot needs, then a spot approach is more appropriate. But the problem is a lot of times people are just looking for that last nickel. Um, and, and, you know, what's the cost of your load not getting delivered? What's the cost of your load being tendered and trusted to a, a, a carrier that's not reputable? Now you've got a mess on the side of the highway. Think long-term, make your carriers partner, partners, and you will get capacity in this market. And quite frankly, you know, when the market really went down, we had a dip in 19 and then obviously a, a big dip in the first part of COVID. I know who stood by us. And right now with the market booming, you know, guess who's got the first shot at capacity? I mean, memories are long. We take a very long-term approach with our loyal clients. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your passion for building a culture of safety, and I appreciate your friendship. I look forward to seeing you uh, in person again soon. Thank you. Same here. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Taking the Higher Road and for spreading the word to your industry peers. We really appreciate it. And remember to follow along at driverreach.com slash podcast. Please submit any questions or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review the Taking the Higher Road podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.